0: We're beginning a new series this morning called Jesus Said What? And maybe you've been reading your Bible as you read the Gospels and you find something you go, that's a bit weird. And sometimes when we come across passages in the Bible that are a bit unusual or sometimes they're difficult to understand or they're a bit strange or confusing, we have a natural tendency, and I'm guilty of this, of doing this. Next page. (laughs) skip the hard stuff, and let's just get to the stuff that's easy and understandable. And sometimes Jesus says things that makes you scratch your head and go, He said what? Like this morning we're starting the series off with, Jesus says, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the world hates you. That's a direct quote from John chapter number 15, verse number 19. It says there, the world hates you. And maybe you felt that. When I was in year six, my teacher taught us a song. You hope that they teach you good things, but my, my teacher taught us the silly song that stuck in my head for my entire life. And I'll remember it till the day I die. It's about people that hate you. And maybe you learned this song, too. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I think I'm going to eat worms. And the way I apparently there's a bunch of different versions, but I the version I learned was big ones, little ones, fat ones, skinny ones. I think I'm going to eat worms. And you think about it, if the world hates you, boy, that's pretty defeated. And so we're going to look at the background behind this, because that's the opposite of what I naturally want. You come across a passage in the Bible that says, guess what? The world hates you, Christians. And you look at it and go, That's the opposite. I like food. I like shelter. I like clothes. And I like people liking me. I want you to laugh at my jokes. I want you to to come across it. Oh, he's a great guy, Michael. The opposite of the world hates you. John chapter 15 gives us, and we'll give you a little bit of background of that passage. It's during the end of Jesus's ministry on earth. As he's finishing up his ministry, he's looking forward to going to the cross. That's the next thing that's going to take place. He's in the upper room with the Passover. If you've ever seen the Last Supper painting, Jesus and his disciples, that's just taken place. And he's told them, one of you is going to deny me. And Judas gets up and gets out of the room. And Jesus begins to teach his disciples. And it's a very close and intimate time. These 12 men now 11, because Judas just left, have spent the last three and a half years walking with Jesus, learning from Him, seeing the miracles. They believe with all their hearts that Jesus is God. He is the Messiah. And then Jesus comes along in chapter number 14 and says, I'm going to leave you. And their first inclination was very natural. Oh, okay. Okay. Where are you going? When are you coming back? Can we come too? And he says, no, I'm going to leave you because I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. But so that where I am there, you may be also. But he says, but where I'm going, you can't go right now. And the disciples are scratching their heads and he continues to teach. He says, it's a good thing that I leave because when I leave you, God's going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to teach you all things. And he's going to reveal truth to you. And as we study through this passage, we see in John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. we will also read verse 21 in just a moment. Jesus begins to give them a reality check. He says, I'm really going to leave you. And you imagine... Your world, for the last three and a half years, you left everything that you knew behind. You committed yourself completely to Jesus Christ. And then he comes along and says, I'm leaving you. Your world is unknown. It's scary. You that pit in your stomach begins to come. that That scary unknown. And then Jesus begins to teach. And he says in verse number 18, if the world hates you, Know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, and here's that statement, the world hates you. And going on to verse number 21, it says, But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. We live in a very, very dark world. And Jesus is giving his disciples a reality check and saying things are not going to become easier for you. And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you're anticipating tomorrow to go and you're going to be judged because you went to church on Sunday. And you're going to be made fun of tomorrow. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, the values that I have and the goals that I have for my life and the things that I consider important are seen by the world as crazy and silly. And you are the fool in the eyes of all these unbelievers. And how do we live in a world of darkness? Today we talked about CAP and we introduced you to this opportunity. And this opportunity is not just for us as Christians. We are starting off with offering it to our church, and the goal behind this, as it builds momentum and we build more more coaches and mentors, we can offer more opportunities to run this program outside of ourselves, into our school communities, into our local communities. Wouldn't it be great to be able to run this at our local uh, public library for the community, introducing people to Jesus Christ through through one of these needs? And we look at this, and we say to ourselves, but the world hates us. Sometimes when we hear that we're suffering, we think that we're really suffering because someone said something mean to us. And you know what? We should all be nice. But we realize in our world, we live in a really, really scary world where people are literally dying for their faith. There's an organization called Open Door. You can look them up online, and they have a a bunch of statistics about the different countries and about people that are suffering. And in 2022, according to their statistics, 5,621 people were killed for their faith across the world. And that's just the ones they can can verify. Let me say that again. 5,621 people died for their faith just because they were Christians. The world hates you. And it's natural to think to ourselves, well, if they hate me, and if you were a child, what would the first thing you would say back to them would be, I hate you more. And I realize, now, if you're not an Australian rules football fan, this may not fully uh, comprehend it, but as as you become more of an Australian rules football fan, you'll understand. It's hard being a West Coast Eagles fan this year. I look back upon 2018 when the Eagles beat Collingwood, and this year, Collingwood won. And if you know anything about Collingwood as a football team, you either love Collingwood or you want everyone to beat Collingwood. I'm in the camp of wanting everyone to beat Collingwood. Some people are very proud of themselves because Collingwood won the grand final a few weeks ago, and they're still walking around with big heads. And it's hard to love them. (laughs) And it's easy to go, you know what, if you hate me, I'm just going to hate you more. If you're mean to me, I'll just come back with a bigger, better comeback. I'm quick-witted, I can come back with something. But that's not what we find in Scripture. Scripture. Jesus says they're going to hate you not because of you, but because of me. And they don't know God. So, the real key behind overcoming this, the world hates you, is this right here. We need to introduce them to God and his love. Because Jesus said in that passage, they're hating you because they don't know who sent me. They don't know God. They don't know his love. So how can we as a local church practically live that out? How can we have that paradox between hate, like it says in John chapter number 15, verse 19, the world hates you, And on the other side, in verse number 12, it says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. That's within just a few verses of each other. We have hate and we have love. That's an incredible paradox. Our principle for today is this. The world's hate is overcome by God's love. Now, be honest with you, if you've been in church any length of time, that was not a surprise at all, was it? We kind of knew that God's love overcomes hate, but now we get to live it out. And the man who wrote the Gospel of John also wrote some other books, and he wrote them. It's very easy to guess which ones he wrote. He wrote the Gospel of John, and he also wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John and the book of revelation so it's pretty easy to guess which books he wrote and he wrote the book of first john if you have your bibles let me encourage you to turn to first john chapter number 4 And John is writing here, not as the young disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, Bible commentators estimate that he's writing this about A.D. 85 or 90, and he's an old man like a grandfather, looking back upon his life and looking back upon the experiences of his life and saying, let me teach you as if you were my own children. And throughout this book, he uses language like, my little children. And three times in the chapter number four, he uses the word beloved. Now, be honest with you, I'm never really going to call you my beloved. But he does here. And he calls us, us his beloved, and he's trying to teach some important biblical truths here. And he's giving us a warning. Verse number one of that chapter gives a warning and says, watch out. And it grabs our attention to say, we live in a very dark world. Verse number one says this, beloved, he uses that lovely term of endearment. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And he's saying here, I want you to know certain things. This morning, we're going to see three truths. Three truths about God, about Jesus, and about you. These three truths are our motivation, our message, and our method. Let's first of all look at our motivation. He's saying, Watch out! Be careful, the world hates you. And he says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Beloved, if God so loves us, verse 11, we also also ought to love one another. And the verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. That's our foundational motivation. And we do not, in our big brains as human beings, even begin to scratch the surface of comprehending the love of God. This week, I was at the year six camp for two at primary school, and we were doing an activity in the evening, and one of the boys stands up all of a sudden and is rushed out of the room by one of the teachers, and I'm right near the entrance, and I, I talk to the teacher, and I offer to take this young man downstairs to the bathrooms, and the teacher very quickly agreed. Unbeknownst to me, he had vomited all over himself, and that's why she agreed so fast. And my first initial reaction was, where's my wife? <laughs> the second was, uh-oh. And I walk this boy downstairs, and I'm, I'm acting like, you're okay, you're all right. And I began to help him take his jacket off, and I realize that he's vomited on his arms, and he's vomited on his pants, and I'm encouraging him. And I kn- this is the problem. I knew I was preaching this this Sunday. And I begin to think, and I'm pray- I was praying in my mind as I was washing off this child's vomit off of his jacket, thinking, "God loves me." <laughs> That's my motivation. And here's the real key, and this is the honest truth. I thought I want this boy to know that he is loved, and he is special. And he, the may have vomited. It's hard enough cleaning your own children's vomit, let alone some other kids' vomit. Thankfully, it wasn't chunky. And you clean it off. And I wanted him to know that there's a God that loves him. Like it says there, let us love one another for love is from God. I've experienced God's love. I want to show it to someone else. Our motivation begins to change. Rather than it being us-focused, we simply become like mirrors of God's love and reflect God's love in the world around us. And it changes when people say, I hate you. It doesn't affect us nearly like it would because we're reflecting God's love back to them. We also have a message. We have a motivation, God loves me. We have a message of Jesus' sacrifice. And Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins changed absolutely everything. That changed us from having a possible religion to now we can have an intimate and personal relationship with the creator and the sustainer of the universe. But love always has a price. And Jesus' sacrifice on the cross certainly had a price. When I first met my now wife, Tammy, and we were in great like with one another. We were just starting to get to know each other. And then it came to the point where we were growing closer in our relationship. And it came time where something happened in my head. And I thought, you know what? I need to tell her I love her. And if you ever had to do that before, men... It's scary. And you say those words and so t- with such trepidation, and you go, uh, 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 I love you. And then you wait for the what seems like an eternity of tick, 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 for that response. And you're hoping all you want to hear is, I love you too. You don't want to hear, that's nice. Or you certainly don't want to hear, thank you. (laughs) You want to hear it reciprocated. And at that time, when I first told Tammy, I love you, she just, just so you know, she quickly said it back with enthusiasm, which made me feel fantastic. And I had no idea at the time how much that love was going to cost me. On the other side, she had no idea how much that love was going to cost her. We had no idea; we just expressed our love for one another and we begin to make plans and we become engaged, and then we have a get married and have a family together, and all the various things and we had no idea how much that love is expensive, and it costs us something and we are we wearing a, wear a wedding ring and, and any I, I performed a number of weddings and whenever we have this The wedding ring and part of the ceremony is you hand the rings. And I stole this from Pastor Larry, this this particular part of the wedding. And it it says there, this ring is a symbol of your love and commitment that that you have for one another. And the commitment that you're making to one another today. So that whether you are together or apart for a moment, it's a constant reminder of your love for one another. And... You have no idea on your wedding day how much that love is going to cost you. But you know what? God, when he created you and Jesus Christ. Knew exactly how much it was going to cost him. And he still decided to create us and he still decided to make you and create you and me, knowing exactly what it was going to cost him. It was going to cost him the cross. The scripture says then, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That's a long way of saying God shows his love for us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be that. Here's a big word. We're going to expand your word power today. The word is called propitiation, which literally means the atonement. To be the propitiation or atonement for our sin. Jesus Christ on the cross paid a price that you and I could never pay. In a thousand perfect lifetimes, we could never pay that price, but Jesus Christ paid that price, and he knew it was going to cost him that. So when God says, I love you, it wasn't like, oops, I didn't mean that. He knew exactly the sacrifice, and for this very moment, Jesus taught his disciples that he's seated on the right hand of God the Father, and he is making intercession for us. So therefore, he's giving us the authority to pray in his name directly to God the Father. It's not because of our goodness or our righteousness. It's because of Jesus Christ. That message that we have is exactly what the world needs. The world needs to hear there's a God that loves them. It's not a cosmic accident. The world needs to hear directly the words of that Jesus Christ died on the cross. There's a lot of very good and and faithful religious people in the world that are very committed to their religion that do not know Jesus Christ. That's what we need. And then we move on from that and we see the methods. We have the motivation. God loves me. We have the message is Jesus' sacrifice. And third is the method. The method isn't prescriptive. We're just called to share your passion. That is basically another way of saying ministry. What has God equipped you for? How has God wired you directly to serve in ministry? And I'm glad that 2,000 years ago, the Scripture didn't say, we have to do church exactly like this, because we are unique, And our church looks unique because you are part of our local church. And God has brought you into our local church and given you the skills and the abilities and the opportunities and the passions to share what He has given you so that you can live out God's love and Jesus' sacrifice in the world around us. When we know that God loves us and we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, repented of our sin and and He's forgiven us of our sins, It affects us greatly. It changes the way that we see ourselves and the way we see others. It changes the way that we spend our time and our finances and the way that we treat others. It changes the way that we look at God and the way we interact with God. Let me read that scripture, verses 20 through 21. It says, If anyone says, I love God, which rolls off our tongue so easily, And hates his brother; he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him: Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, if you only have sisters, that includes sisters too. That's not—it's not a cop out. It's like fantastic. I don't have to love my sister. Because next Sunday, we're continuing this series of Jesus said what? And we're about Jesus teaches that we have to hate our family. And some of you are like, yes, next Sunday is going to be great. But we'll, we'll learn about that next Sunday. So the question of the day is this. How has God equipped you for ministry? You have a motivation. You have a, me- a message. We have a method. So how has God equipped you for ministry? If this is your first time at our church family, you probably wouldn't have noticed. But just outside the doors there, we normally have a wooden cabinet with the TV sitting on top of it. And now we have a table. Several weeks ago, I approached Peter McKenzie because he likes woodworking and he has a bunch of really manly tools in his shed. And I asked him about refurbishing that wooden cabinet. And in my mind, I was thinking basically wipe it down with a damp cloth put a little bit of sealing oil on it, dust it a little bit, and call it good. And Peter comes after a couple of weeks and goes, I've been thinking about that. I want to take it all apart, sand it back, seal it with a special sealer, and put a second coat on it, let it dry for a few days, and it will come up hard and new, and it will look great. Now, that's talking about being equipped, because in my mind, it was basically wipe it down with a damp cloth and let it be done. But he has a passion for woodworking and a very, very patient wife. And you have a passion for something and you look at something. Well, I can do that better. I can do that differently. It becomes a passion. Some of you, we are never going to ask you to, to serve in the children's ministry because it would be horrible for you. And you would probably end up hurting a child. And so therefore, what we do is we try to find where is it that you're passionate about. What, how has God wired you or equipped you to, to serve? Some of you are, are thinking, well, you know what? I don't know everything about money, but I can do something and I can be trained for the cap money course. And I can serve in, in that capacity because God's wired me to, to love people and help people. And I can be trained in, in certain areas. And maybe you need to talk to Nisa and Natasha today and, and sign up for that. Well, as a church family, we're praying that God will bring a a youth leader along to lead our teenagers. And we're praying God will bring the right person, not just a person that is breathing, because we certainly don't want the wrong person leading our youth. So how has God equipped you? And with that, we we begin to think about going ourselves as a witness in our local community and local schools and your workplace. And you realize God has put you exactly where he wants you to be. You have the motivation. We have the, the message. Your method is unique. Jesus isn't prescriptive exactly where we have to go and what we have to do. We're called to go to the whole world. And with that, it backs up with this. And this is a statement I've used for the last number of years, and I I personally find this challenging. It's do what you already enjoy doing, but do it with a purpose. If you enjoy a certain activity or sport, don't just go and do the activity. Do it with a motivation that God loves me. And you want to share that with others. Do with the message of sharing Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. The method is just do what I've already enjoyed doing, but do with a purpose. And some of you are like, yes, I can go golf anytime with a purpose. If you can do that, praise God. There you go. Now you have permission to go golfing. So with that, we have those three points. Now we get to go live it out now. In a moment's time the musicians are going to come, we're going to sing a final song, we'll give some announcements, we'll be out the door. So I want to encourage you to just stop and think for just a moment before the rush of the next activity begins. Is to start thinking about your motivation. Jesus says, the world hates you. Are you just going to reciprocate that hatred back? Or are you going to have a motivation of saying, I want to show God's love to the world around us because I know God. I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. The message of the cross has changed my life and can change other people's lives also. And how you do that, whether it's through CAP, whether it's through youth ministry, whether it's through practical things that you will do in your your workplace or your school life, let me encourage you, don't miss the opportunity. Because Jesus teaches the world hates you because it doesn't know God. Let's have been, why don't you stand with me as we pray. And as I pray, let me encourage you to pray silently along with me. Let God speak to you in your hearts and lives. Lord, I want to thank you for how you work and how you teach us some, sometimes some hard truths as we face the fact that we live in a world that is a dark world, Lord, we, I pray that you'll give us the opportunity, and we will take the opportunity to show your love in this dark world. Lord, I pray that this message will not just be another Sunday, but will make an impact, that people will respond correctly, and will respond appropriately, and we will see an impact in our community and in our own lives as a result. And in Jesus' name, amen.